Well, I want to say once again to the church, thank you so much for your support, your prayers, your participation in my doctoral work. It truly uh, could not have happened without you. It was a journey we embarked on together, and uh, every page of that nearly 300-page book, which I expect every one of you to read at some point, I'm just letting you know that, you're on every single one of those pages. Literally, you are on every one of those pages. So it is, it is a, uh, something I certainly share with you. Uh, there is a plaque that I've read once before. It hangs in the atrium. Uh, just a word of appreciation for the church. And eventually, uh, my book will be printed. They're taking forever because the coronavirus thing shut down the, the printing house. So eventually, these days, I'll get that book. It'll be in the library, and I expect to see every week somebody else checking it out and reading it, okay? I don't really, please, I, I really don't expect that. If you'll please take your Bibles and turn to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3. So today we recognize our graduates. I have graduated for the final time from school. I don't plan on doing that again. We have other graduates who maybe have done that or they've graduated from one school and they're going into another school. So I got to thinking about this word graduate. What does it mean to graduate? And I looked at all the different meanings of that word. Well, and I'm thinking of the verb, graduate, not graduate. So to graduate is to receive an academic degree or diploma. That's the one that we usually think about, right? That's what we're celebrating today. It also means to pass from one stage of experience, proficiency or prestige, to a usually higher one. This idea of you've completed one thing, you're moving up to something a little bit more prestigious, a little bit harder. Uh, it can mean to mark with degrees of measurement, right? So you can have a graduated cylinder, for example, maybe in chemistry class. And so you have markings on that cylinder. It's graduated to mark with degrees of measurement, to divide into grades or intervals. So as many of us today think about graduation from that first definition, from a, a school or degree program, I want us to think about some of these other definitions. This idea that to graduate really is a lifelong process. It's a lifelong journey. The Bible tells us we should constantly be measuring our walk with Christ and that we should be passing from one experience and stage of proficiency in Christ to another one. Paul talks about that we go from glory to glory, that we should be growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, always pressing on to that upward call in Christ Jesus, never really arriving at least not in this life. So I want us to look at the closing remarks that Peter makes in his second epistle. Peter, in writing his second letter, is addressing the pressures and the problems the first century church was facing. And, and they were experiencing pressures and problems both from without, but also from within their congregation. And Peter wrote this letter shortly before he himself was martyred for the faith. And so what he shares here, and he knew that was coming. So what Peter, these are really sort of Peter's last words. And we think of the value we place on somebody's final words. What was the last thing they said? And, and so we can look at this and see what was heavy on Peter's heart. And it's that he wanted the churches to stand strong for the gospel. Despite the persecution, despite the pressure to compromise and to conform to the broader culture, he wanted them to stand strong. So look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, talking about everything he's written about before, be on your guard 
so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. So to my fellow graduates, and I don't just mean those who have completed a degree program, I mean all of us. We are all graduates. We are all to be passing from one level of expertise in our faith to another. I want to share three things that we should never stop doing. Three things that we never graduate from, as in we never arrive there. We never can say, well, I'm done with that. Check that one off. Never have to do that again. What are the three things that help keep us graduating on, moving on, higher and higher, from glory to glory in our faith in Christ. The first is right there in verse 17. Peter tells us to be on our guard. Be on your guard. In these last two two verses right here, what Peter is really doing is summarizing his whole letter. You know, kind of like preachers do, right? We tell you what we're going to tell you. We tell you, and then we tell you what we told you. And so that's what Peter is doing in these last few verses. So in chapter 1, he talks about the importance of growing in their faith. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. In chapter 2, Peter deals with false teachers and the importance of being on guard against their destructive heresies. And then chapter 3, he focuses on Jesus' second coming. And so we're thinking about that chapter 2 emphasis. Look with me at at 2 Peter 2. Let's look at verses 1 and 3. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. And then Peter goes on in that chapter to describe the various teachers and heretical teachings, even going back to the Old Testament. He talks about their destructive consequences. And he says that those kinds of lies are a threat to the church. They're a threat to our holiness. They're a threat to the gospel. And Peter cautions his readers to be discerning about what they hear, to be disciplined, to be vigilant and on guard. It's sort of like the idea of sifting wheat. You know, you take uh, the the stalk of wheat and you you beat it and and you break loose the grain, but there's all of this chaff that comes with it. And so they would take and they would throw uh, the, the grain up into the air. And so the kernels of grain would fall. And what would happen with this chaff? The chaff would blow away. We have to separate the wheat from the chaff. We have to be discerning. So we're going to hear things. Kids are going to hear things in college. We hear things on Facebook. Do you have to be discerning about the things you read on Facebook? Do you? Yes. We have to separate the wheat from the chaff. That doesn't mean that everything that you're going to hear is heresy or everything you're going to read is fake news. There's usually at least a kernel of truth in there somewhere. And what Peter says is we have to be discerning to make sure we can divide the truth away from the chaff, and let the chaff blow away. Now, look back here at at 2 Peter 3, verse 17. Notice Peter's love for these believers. He calls them dear friends. 
See, Peter saw himself in a pastoral role. He was the shepherd guarding his flock from ravenous wolves. And as I said, these being Peter's last words, more than anything he wants them to know before his death is that they are his beloved brothers and sisters and he doesn't want them to be carried about, carried off by unloving, greedy, and deceitful false teachers. Specifically, Peter warns them about two disastrous consequences that will happen if we give heed to false doctrine. And the first of those consequences is that we are swept away. He says we'll be swept away by lawless people. You know, there are a few things that's frightening. Maybe you've had one of these experiences. You're out at the ocean, okay? And maybe you're in a, in a kayak or you're on a float or maybe you're just out there swimming and you start to realize you're getting carried away from the beach, right? You're being carried away from where you're supposed to be. Maybe a riptide is, is at work or it's just uh, some strong waves are carrying you off. And it can be hard. You're, you know, I remember taking the, the youth down to, uh, I guess it was Missionfuge or Centerfuge, down in Charleston, and we went out into the International Waterway at one point, and I took a, a kayaking class. And so I, I was out there doing kayaking, and, and it was hard work. You know, it was easy going with the flow, but coming back to where we started was brutally hard. And it's just so easy to find that the, the current is carrying you away. Well, Peter, being a fisherman who spent much of his life fishing on the Sea of Galilee, he knew what it was to be swept along by an unfriendly wind and to realize you were not going the way you wanted to go. And so that's the picture he uses to warn that many people are in danger of being swept away, being swept away with the crowd, being swept away by lawless people who say this is, this is the right way to go, and it isn't. Now, this isn't the first time in this letter that Peter alludes to the danger of being carried off from the right and true path. In 2 Peter 2, 2, again, we read this a second ago, he said, many will follow their shameful ways. It's like what Jesus said about the narrow versus the wide path. There's a wide road and many will follow it. There's a narrow gate and a narrow path and few will find it. Jesus tells us this and Peter says that. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In other words, these people are going to actually take the true way, the right way, they're going to malign it. They're going to drag it through the mud. They're going to paint the true and right way as being the wrong way and the evil way. Later on in that chapter, in verse 15, Peter, Peter writes, they have gone astray by abandoning the straight path and have followed the path of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. Maybe you remember that story in the Old Testament of Balaam, who the, the king, uh, Balak, had hired him to go and to curse the people of Israel. But God would not let him do that. But eventually he, he did start to lead the people of Israel astray, and, and he was considered wicked for that. So following that same line of thought here in these last verses, Peter gives a final warning sign along the road. Be on your guard so you won't be carried away by the error of lawless men. Listen, it's easy to get swept up into a crowd, isn't it? It's easy, that peer pressure, that, that crowd pressure can come in and it's so easy to be swayed. You've probably heard expressions like bad company corrupts good character. Or be careful, you're going to become like those you hang around with. There's a lot of wisdom in those sayings. 
Now, the particular lawless people, if you read up, especially in chapter 3, the particular lawless people that Peter was writing about and warning his readers against, they were claiming that Jesus was not going to come back, that Jesus wasn't going to return, and therefore you could live your life however you wanted to because you're not going to have to give any account for it. And and, and again, that's Peter's main focus here in chapter 3 is the return of Christ. So what we're learning here in these last couple of verses is there is an intimate relationship. Listen closely to this. There is an intimate relationship between the kinds of people we associate with and the kinds of things we fill our minds with and what we believe about eternal spiritual matters, such as the return of Jesus. There's a correlation there. In essence, if you run with people who reject Biblical doctrine, you will find yourself more and more moving away from biblical doctrine. If you run with people who reject biblical teachings on sexuality, you will join the slaves of the so-called sexual revolution. If you run around and chase after with others wealth and possessions and material gain, then you will become greedy and materialistic. No wonder Peter warns us this one last time to stay on guard because he knows that if we make the error of running with lawless people, apostasy is a very real and present danger. And I think that is true for us more so than ever. Just think for a minute all of the messaging we hear on a daily basis. Think about that. From entertainment, music, all the different ways we can, we can listen to music. I won't even go into all that. Movies and television and YouTube videos and social media posts and news media. And think about our professors and teachers and the things that we read and the books that we read and the, the friends and their opinions that they share with us. We receive more messaging on a daily basis than any group of people in human history. The messaging is constant. Compare that for yourself. Think about all the messaging, all the truth claims, all the opinions and ideas that you hear. What percentage of those truth claims and messages and ideas are biblical? Think about all the things that you watch on TV and online. Think about all the Facebook posts you read. How does that compare to your reading of God's Word? To your listening to God's Word being preached and taught? I would venture to say that it probably is a minuscule amount compared to the other, if we're being honest with ourselves. So is it any wonder that we struggle with being conformed to the pattern of this world? Is it any wonder that we chase after the things that Jesus said pagans chase after that our Father knows we need? And if we would just seek Him and His kingdom and His righteousness first, God would provide all that we need for us. Is it any wonder that we let our hearts be troubled because we fill our minds and hearts with so much from the world and so very little from God's Word? The late Ravi Zacharias wrote, We are living in a time when philosophically you can believe anything so long as you do not claim it to be true. Morally, you can practice anything so long as you do not claim that it is a better way. Religiously, you can hold to anything so long as you do not bring Jesus Christ into it. We must be on our guard against what Paul said 
the vain philosophies. Let me, let me just read that, that New Testament reading for us again. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. Be on your guard. Be on your guard. Don't, don't follow the mob mentality. Don't believe everything you read on Facebook. Don't live your life based on hashtags. Live your life based on the truth of God's Word. If not, we will be swept away with lawless people. The second warning he gives us is that we would lose our stability. This phrase, he says, fall from your secure position. Now, this has been the source of some theological debate. Because some people read that and they say, is Peter saying that you can lose your salvation? Is Peter saying that that be careful, you're going to lose your secure position as a Christian? That's not what Peter means. For one thing, Peter would not only be contradicting Jesus and Paul, he'd actually be contradicting himself if that's what he was saying. So what does Peter mean then? This falling is not a fall from salvation. He's not worried about their salvation. He's worried about them falling from a firm conviction about the truth of God's Word. Back in chapter 1, verse 12, he describes his readers as being firmly established in the truth. So the point of his letter is to encourage them in the face of external persecution, in the face of internal pressures, he wants to encourage them to remain faithful to that established truth. He wants them to maintain a firm footing in the faith. Corrie Ten Boom, if you're familiar with her story, was a Christian. Uh, she lived in Nazi Germany. Her family would, would protect, would hide Jewish people and, and protect them from the Nazis. And, and so they were persecuted and they were pursued as well by the Nazis. And she and her family had a special secret that helped them to get through some of the most difficult and dark days. If they were really struggling, having a hard time, one of the family members would quietly ask the other, What do you have in your shoe, Mama? What do you have in your shoe, Dad? What do you have in your shoe, Betsy? And the answer was they had precious portions of Scripture they had torn from their Bibles and put in their shoes. So when they would ask that question, it would remind them, I'm standing on the promises of God. No matter what we face, no matter how difficult the day comes, we're standing on the promises of God. Peter wants his readers, he wants us, to have our feet squarely planted on the unchanging Word of God. It's like Jesus in the parable of the two men that built houses. Remember, one built his house on the rock, one built his house on the sand, the wind and the the waves and the storms came, and which house fell? The house built on the sand. And Jesus said, those who hold to my teachings, those who live based on the Word of God, are like the man who built his house on the rock. It doesn't mean the storms and the waves and the wind don't come. But it means that when they do, you won't lose your stability. Just as that wise builder builds his house to withstand the storms, Peter writes in chapter 1, verse 10, that if you build your life on God's Word, you will never fall. So, are we living in turbulent times, church? Do we have some storms and winds and rain and waves coming our way? Yes, as as families, as churches, as a community, as a nation, we know that is true. We must be firmly established in the faith. Stay the course. Be on your guard so you don't lose your stability. 
Now, the second thing that Peter says we never graduate from, it's not only just being on guard, it's growing in grace and knowledge. So the first is sort of a defensive, but then he moves to this offensive. It's not reactive, it's proactive. We must continually seek to grow spiritually strong. Peter encourages this throughout this letter. He's constantly talking about growing in, in our faith. Uh, look at the Second Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Peter is calling us to make every effort, effort to supplement our faith, to add to our faith, the, really the fruit of the Spirit, these, these Christ-like characteristics, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness. See the graduation here? We're graduating from one to the other. We keep adding and adding and adding. And to brotherly kindness, he finally brings us to the culminating principle and value of Christ. And what is that? Love. Peter says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in what? In your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. While we are saved by faith alone, our faith must grow if we are to keep ourselves from being swept away by lawless people and to keep ourselves from losing the stability of our footing on the foundation of God's Word. But here in this final verse, Peter gives us two specific ways in which our faith is to grow. The first is in grace, the second, or, and the second is in knowledge. Let's talk about grace. Grace is by definition a gift. It's God's unmerited favor. You can do nothing to earn it. You can do nothing to lose it. It is given, but it is also grown. It's given, but it's also grown. Now think about a husband and wife's love for each other. Is a husband and wife's love for each other, has it reached its maturity on their wedding day? No. If it has, they've got problems, right? No, you grow in your love. You learn more about each other. You, you struggle through difficult times together. And through those difficulties, through those rough patches, you actually become more intimate. You grow in your knowledge for each other, your commitment to each other, your love for each other. It just begins, really, at, at that wedding day. The same is true for our love for Jesus, our knowledge of Jesus, the grace of God. We receive it on the day that we're saved, but then we grow in it. We mature in it throughout our life. Now, how do we do that? How do we grow in grace? Well, Paul tells us uh, one way in which we don't grow in grace. He says you don't grow in grace by sinning more. He doesn't say, should we sin all the more so that grace may abound? He says, no. So that's not how we grow in grace. Rather, Paul says we grow in grace in Romans 6, 2, as we die to our sin. In Ephesians 4, 15, as we speak the truth in love. James says that God gives more grace to the humble. So we grow in grace by being humble. To put it simply, the more we know Jesus, the more we experience His mercy, love, peace, joy, the fruit of that Spirit in our lives, the more we grow in His grace. But it's not just our experience of His grace. We also grow in our ability to share His grace with one another. Paul says in Ephesians and in Colossians, that we should give grace to people in how we speak to them. That we can actually give grace to others. 
Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4 that when we serve others out of our spiritual gifts, we are actually being good stewards of God's grace. And Hebrews says that when we forgive, rather than harbor bitterness, we ensure that other people can receive the grace of God. So the more we share God's grace with others, the more like Jesus we become, and therefore the more we grow in His grace. But Peter also says we're to grow in knowledge. Knowledge is one of the things Peter addresses throughout this letter. In 2.10, Peter writes about escaping the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He warns about becoming entangled in the vain philosophies of a lost and sinful world. And here again, Peter emphasizes, he's not just talking about knowledge in general. There's knowledge, which is, you know, we go to school to, to gain knowledge, don't we? We read and study and we experience, we gain knowledge through life experiences. He's not just talking about a generic knowledge. He's talking about the specific knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right there in verse 18. So this is the only time in this letter that he uses these full titles and names of Jesus. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's making a point here. What does it mean that Jesus is our Lord? That title, Lord, means exalted one. It's Jesus' title of divine sovereignty as the second person of the Trinity. Savior refers to Jesus' mission. It's what He came to do. He came to do for you and me what we could not do for ourselves. He paid for our sins on the cross, living a perfect sinless life, and He took upon Himself the wrath of God that you and I deserve, that we might take upon ourselves His righteousness. Savior is what Jesus came to do. Jesus, His human name, means Yahweh saves, the Lord saves. Again, revealing the essence, the nature of who Jesus is and what He came to do. And Christ is another title. It means anointed one. And it's a title that points to the long past promises of God. That Jesus came as the fulfillment of the entire redemptive story beginning in Genesis 1.1. The knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This knowledge is fundamental to to the foundation upon which Peter says we must build our lives. Strength and stability in the faith comes from this basic knowledge of the gospel. And Peter gives a clear warning to those who would live by any other knowledge that doesn't conform to the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. One commentator wrote this, Knowledge of Christ and knowledge about Christ are both, if they keep pace with each other, the safeguard against heresy and apostasy and the means of growth in grace. The best antidote to error is truth, and Christians must constantly be exposed to the truth, lest errors creeps in unawares. Listen, how can we know if somebody is a lawless person who's been swept away by the error of their ways, we can look at what they say about Jesus. I can tell you in a minute if somebody is preaching truth or not by what they say about Jesus. So the more we get to know Jesus, the stronger we can stand and be on our guard and grow in grace and knowledge. And when we can do that, then this final one, we can give God glory. Again, Peter's third major theme in the letter is the return of Christ, the end of time. Now, now be honest with me here, right? 2020 has certainly felt like an apocalyptic movie, right? I mean, it really kind of feels like it's the end of the world as we know it, right? And I don't feel fine about that. I mean, it's rough times that we're living in. And, And whether they're serious or just kind of joking on Facebook, 
a lot of people are more interested in the end times than ever because these are scary times. But the truth is, whether this is the, the end times or not, I mean, we're definitely in the end times, but whether Jesus is coming back tomorrow or 10 years or 100 years from now, it doesn't matter because you know what matters? The truth is that every day brings us one day closer to the return of Christ. Amen? Every day. And here in chapter 3, Peter addresses the truth that Jesus will return. He addresses when Jesus will return. And Peter says that he is pointing these truths out. In verse 1, look at verse 1. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. He's writing about the return of Christ to stimulate our minds to wholesome thinking. And so here Peter concludes with a song of praise right there. He says, To Him be glory, both now and forever. He's issuing a a closing hymn of praise as if Jesus was already here, as if Christ had already returned. We are to give God glory by living ready for Jesus to return at any moment. Because when we live in in, in light of Christ's return, you know what? We're not going to be interested in giving glory to ourselves. We're not going to be interested in giving glory to other people. Because true followers of Jesus Christ shouldn't be interested in their own glory. We should long to give glory to God for who He is, for all the marvelous things that He has done and will do for now and for all of eternity. We never graduate from giving God glory. It's what we'll do for all of eternity. Guarding is necessary in order not to be led astray by false teachers. Growing and grace and knowledge is necessary if we're going to be strengthened in our faith. Glorifying God should be the consuming passion of Christians in light of the return of Jesus Christ. Peter is offering us a balanced perspective of the Christian life. And these three words really compromise, or really comprise our assignment. As we await the return of Christ, we should be on our guard, we should be growing in grace and knowledge, And we should be giving glory to God. What about you? Are you ready for the return of Christ? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You can't grow in the grace you've not received. You can't grow in the knowledge of the Jesus you don't know. Jesus bled and died on a Roman cross for you and me. He conquered our sins on that cross. He conquered death through that empty tomb so that we could put our trust in Him and live abundantly now and eternally in the kingdom to come. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you don't, I invite you here in just a moment to come and to turn from your sin, to put your trust in Him, to turn from those lawless ways, to put your trust in the One who wants to bless you and give you a fresh start and fill your life with peace. Is this going to be an easy life? No. That's kind of the point of Peter's letter. It's not going to be an easy life. But you can stand firm when you build your life on the Word of God. Would you do that today? Maybe the Lord is calling you to unite with this church family, either through baptism or through moving your letter from another church. And you say, this is where I want to grow in grace and knowledge. This is where I want to give God glory. This is where I want to help to be on guard and help to guard the hearts and minds of others in the truth of Jesus Christ. Then we invite you to come and to let that decision be made known. But maybe God is saying something else to you today to our high school graduates and college graduates and grad school graduates and to all of us. Let's be on guard. Let's make sure that we are filling our minds and our hearts with the Word of God. 
Let's make sure that this is the filter that we run everything through to know whether it is true or not. You know, Jesus said that he is the truth. He said, I am the truth, the way and the life. Jesus doesn't just teach us truth. Jesus is the truth. And so there is no error or falsehood in him whatsoever. He is the plumb line against which we can measure everything as we guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Whatever the Lord is saying to you today, would you come in obedience? Let's stand and pray, and then we'll sing. Father, we are thankful for the truth of your word. We're thankful that for 2,000 years it has remained true and unchanged and unchanging. I ask you would forgive us for when we plant our feet on anything but your solid rock. Forgive us when we allow the, 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 the crowds to sway us and to sweep us away. Lord, when we allow ourselves to be taken captive by deceptive and hollow philosophies of men, Lord, stories that people make up for their own gain and power and prestige. God, fill our minds and our hearts with your truth. Help us to follow your narrow path for our lives. For in it is love and light and life. In Jesus' name we pray.